Now there's a psalm that unites church and family together, amen? Uh, you can't uh, have one without the other in the fullness of God's blessing, and so we uh, do pray that God will do just that, and that you will see Jerusalem prosper all of your days, and that even your children's children will see that wonderful blessing. As we turn to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to close this particular chapter, and it actually closes a section of Matthew as we now conclude this chapter that he has been now working on for two chapters, chapter 11 and 12. Hear the word of God beginning at verse 46 from Matthew chapter 12. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Our gracious father, we ask that you would give us great comfort from this scripture today. And yet a great resolve in the family of God. We are thankful for this household of faith to which you have called us. We are thankful for our brethren, our sisters. We're thankful for being the God who has desired for us to approach you as Father. And for Jesus who is not ashamed to call us his brothers. We're thankful for the spirit that comes alongside us and reveals all these things and ask that now he would open up the scriptures to us and apply these things to our hearts, that it would give us the comfort we need and the exhortation that we need and that your will would be done here in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. May be seated. In chapters 11 and 12, Matthew has been giving us an account in various forms of unbelief that Jesus encountered in his earthly ministry. Anywhere from those doubts that John the Baptist himself had that Jesus went back and consoled and shored up, all the way to the obstinate, um, fervent, uh, malicious unbelief expressed to those by those who would seek to take his life. We have many different various forms of unbelief in chapters 11 and 12. But not only do we have these examples of unbelief that Matthew has given to us, but what is noteworthy is our Lord's interpretation of these various accounts and how he responded to it. And therein, that is one of the reasons, that's the reason really, that this is in the scripture. That's what it is here for. Each of these examples are for our learning and for our understanding and how we are to pattern our responses and interpretation after Jesus's. Help us to think how we are to respond when people reject the gospel. And here we have one final scene in verses 46 through 50 with one little public incident that is instructive on Jesus' true family. 
If you have ever experienced rejection or challenges or broken relationships with very close family members or friends because you are trying to be faithful to Christ, then there's great comfort here in this passage for you. And that's the reason this passage is in the Bible. It shows us how Jesus interprets this situation when some of his own family members either misunderstood him or just flat out didn't believe him. Well, let's consider, first of all, this interpretation of Jesus's family, or this, I should say, this interruption of Jesus's family in verses 46 through uh, 47. It says there that while he was talking with the multitudes, and he was in the context of probably a a house with his disciples and others who were around him at the time, And one comes in and says, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking to speak with you. We may recall from our study in Matthew 10 that some of enemies, some of our enemies as Christians will be those of his or her own household. And what the apostles will witness in this particular interruption is evidence of this even in Jesus's own family. I'd like for us to consider both his mother and his brothers separately, because in this particular time in Jesus's life and ministry, uh, there are some things that are noteworthy about each of those two as they represent um, people that are in our own lives. Jesus's mother, Mary, at this time was a believer, but she also had great misunderstandings regarding the nature of his ministry. You might recall when Jesus was 12 that uh, his mom and father took him down to the temple at uh, the feast time and there he was in the temple interacting with the the scribes and the Pharisees and they went back after the, the week was over and were heading back home and thinking that Jesus was with his extended family uh, did not really look for him for three days And then he comes up missing. Journey all the way back down Jerusalem after their three days journey. Probably a significant time down the road. And they came to the temple and they saw him. Now, moms, have you ever been in a situation where you turn around and you find your child missing. And this horror seizes you. This overcomes you. And then when you finally find your child safe the horror can actually turn into um, not only a a sense of relief, but also a bit of frustration at the same time. Um, And I think it was true with her here. We find Mary mildly protesting and even lightly scolding her perfect child. Luke 2 gives us this scenario in this picture at that time son why have you done this to us look your father and I have sought you anxiously you've troubled us and he said to them why did you seek me did you not know that I must be about my father's business you would I mean, you know where to come find me now. This is where I've been. 
But they did not understand the statement which he spoke. There were some misunderstandings regarding the nature of who Jesus was. By the age of 12, he already had an understanding of who he was in relation to a heavenly father, to his own father that had sent him. This is what the scripture says, that he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and men. He was growing even in, from his humanity, from an earthly perspective in knowledge and in grace. But by 12, he was full aware of who he was. But his father or his mother, an earthly father, did not. They did not understand. Years later, at the first miracle that we have recorded of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, Mary comes to Jesus informing him that they have run out of wine. Isn't that one of the worst things that can happen at a wedding? Well, you don't hear that very much, do you? Mom, you have never run up to me and told me that the wedding party is out of wine. But Jesus' mother did this here. And what she was doing, as she came to him in this occasion, and the way that she approached him, and the expectation that she had, son, they've run out of wine. Do something. What Mary was expecting is that there's an implied suggestion that he would manifest himself in some miraculous way as the Messiah. Show yourself. He responds, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not fully come. His response was a respectful response, but it was not the time. For that kind of public manifestation. And while he did do a miracle on that day. It was very few that were really actually aware of it. This was not one of those miracles with all the bells and sirens and the fireworks going. It was a profound miracle but subtle in terms of those who really understood and knew what had happened. And we see in our present passage. Another incident of misunderstanding. That she would interrupt his preaching and his discipleship ministry with his disciples and to the crowds to which he was ministering. And I think there is something of an inappropriateness here that suggests something about her misunderstanding of him and the nature of his ministry. Now granted, if you were Mary, and you have been treasuring all of these things in your heart, and you remember the prophecy of when Jesus was brought to the temple to be baptized, and you're treasuring these things, you're studying them, you're thinking, this child is different, and what is this plan that God has for this child? And then you're seeing him in his public ministry and crowds and multitudes are following him, but some of them are very hostile. A mother's natural inclination would be concerned for her, her son, protective, 
not desiring for him to be hurt or harmed in any way. And she could see the dangers were looming around his ministry. Perhaps it was for this cause of concern that she might have felt compelled to interrupt his ministry at such an occasion. Remember, Matthew is putting this at the very conclusion of a chapter where he is assimilated, not in chronological order, but in the thematic order of those who were doubting and disbelieving in who he was. Whatever the case, she'd still had some misunderstandings about him. And just like many of our own family members who are saved, who are believers, but they have a misunderstanding of us when we try to follow faithfully our God. So Jesus understood what that was like. Secondly, let's consider his brothers that were pointed out here. Because at this point in Jesus' life, his brothers were not believers. While his mother was and misunderstood, his brothers were not believers. They are named for us in the next chapter, which we will come to in some due course of time. But their names are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, given for us there in the 13th chapter, verse 55. We know four of his brother's names. John's gospel reveals to us that Jesus' brother at this time were, in fact, not believers. Because at the feast time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, there was a time there when his brothers said to him, Depart and go to Judea. Your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. And then they say, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And theirs was a bit of satire. This was a disingenuous spirit in which they were exhorting and even chiding their brother, their earthly brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. The very next verse says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. They were chiding, challenging him, challenging who he claimed to be. They knew who their father was. They knew who their mother was. They knew where they grew up. They knew the region. They knew this brother. And this time in their life of his ministry, they were unbelieving. Imagine growing up with a brother who never did anything wrong. Impeccable, perfect. And perhaps that's the reason they disbelieved him. Maybe they just didn't like him very much. Envious, most likely. For Jesus never got in trouble, at least that was a fault of his own. And what we have here is a mother who wasn't fully on board with the program and his brothers who were unbelievers. And they think that what Jesus was doing was senseless. And you know, some of the most emotional reactions that can come against us can come from those that we're closest with. From our own family members and friends. When one person turns to Christ. Jesus did tell us, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. 
and some of them will even put you to death. You know, we hear and see testimonies of like that today, of, and particularly in Muslim countries and hostile countries of false religions that are very militant. And when a family member comes to know Christ, it is not uncommon that another family member will go after them and kill them. When you attempt to live for Christ and when He is your highest value and He is your highest loyalty and your, your, the greatest love in your life, expect to have relational problems with some of your closest earthly relations. But be careful that you do not compromise your conscience or your quest for truth with the maintenance of those earthly relationships. Perhaps you have heard a phrase that I call the family and friends hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is the way we interpret the Scripture. And the way that I use that term, friends and family hermeneutic, is when we come to the Scripture and we look at the Scripture and the Spirit reveals something to us almost in a flash or perhaps in just an opening up of the veil a little bit more and we immediately in our minds of flesh, say, oh, if I did that, what would my friends and family think of me? In other words, what are the implications if I obeyed that? Or if I understood it this way? Or if, and we call this, I call this friends and family hermeneutics. It's a very subtle thing. I think sometimes we're even unaware of it when we come to the Scriptures. And we've been grown up in a certain way and we've had our traditions of our faith even instilled to us from a very early age. And then all of a sudden we come to some revelation that is different. And all of a sudden we're thinking, oh no, what are the implications? And you have to be careful. Folks, what we want to know is the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. God had to teach me a lot of hard lessons in my early ministry. A ministry back when we first started a church in Georgia. And for three and a half difficult years, we're unsure at all if God was ever going to prosper the work. As soon as it felt like we were over one hurdle, then another hill would come. As soon as we felt like we got victory in one battle, uh, a, a bigger one would come. And we were constantly tempted. Do we stick with what we know to be true, or at least what we think we know to be true and are faithful in that way? Or do we want to find our place in a home with those, even though I would compromise conscience to do so. There was a time, people, that I felt like there wasn't really a body of believers uh, that I could fellowship with. It was a very difficult time that God established a wonderful body of believers and has in due season brought us through the wilderness And brought us into the promised land by way of analogy and metaphor to to encourage you. Whatever the challenges you have with 
with friends that are very close or perhaps loved ones who are unbelievers that are standing against your direction and they think what you're doing is senseless. You stay the course. You stay the course. Hugh Latimer, one of those three of those Oxford martyrs that where there is a, a memorial in Oxford uh, right outside of the university to this day that commemorates their being burned at the stake. Hugh Latimer, of course, was a, was a Protestant and he was under the reign of King Henry VIII. And one of the men that God used in the significant reformations of England. When Edward VI came to the throne, he was still somewhat safe, but he lived shortly. And then Mary, Mary came to the throne and she sought out all of those Protestants who were significant and leaders of the time to put them to death. And Hugh Latimer was one of those. The Tower of London was so crowded in those days that Latimer had to share the cell with two others, one being Ridley. And of course, you know how that went as they were then tied and burned at the stake outside of Oxford. But before that time, even before Mary ascended to the throne and his own life was being threatened, he had still known many of the trials and difficulties of standing for the truth. And he said, if you ever come to prison for God, I will advise you first and above all things that you abjure your friends and your friendship, leaving no one abjured. It is they that shall undo you and not your enemies. And what he is saying there is, in a sense, do not give way to the friends and family hermeneutic. You must renounce friends and family if it means renouncing them for the sake of the gospel and being true with your loyalty to Christ. Your family and friends are very strong earthly relationships and they have the strongest influence upon you if your loyalty is not first and foremost to Christ. And Jesus was acquainted with that. And all points like we are, he was tempted, but yet he was without sin. You will be tested in your loyalty for Christ, in your love for God, in your submission to his will, with friend and family relationships, persuading you or influencing you or even posturing against you for you to do otherwise. And Jesus knows what that feels like. We come to verse 48, and Jesus reveals to us now, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with those misunderstandings of families, or, or even family members who are unbelievers that, um, that challenge you? At the end of verse 47, where there was somewhat hanging in the air, this interruption where someone comes in and says, your mother and your brothers are seeking you outside to speak with you. And there, hanging in the air, was a certain tension. There was an atmosphere of tension that was in that interruption. His family comes and interrupts his preaching and his ministry there. And they're kind of hanging out there in this awkwardness. What do you do? And what our Lord does is what He always does, is He works all things together 
for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So he teaches, shows an example, and he raises the question of his true family, and he says, now who are my mother and my brothers to the one that came in and was the Aaron person for his family awaiting outside? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He asked. When your family, your friends do not understand what you're doing, when they think that you are crazy, when you give up all of your family's inheritance like many missionaries before have done, or when you make great sacrifices that seem nonsensical and even somewhat risky and dangerous to go and follow Jesus. And when you're faced with your family members questioning you and marginalizing your convictions, then ask the question to yourself what Jesus asked this man. Who are my true family members? Who is my true mother, my true father, my true children, my true brothers? You know, when lost people consider that question, who are your family? For them, there's really only one answer, and that is their earthly family. And that is the unbreakable bond that they think about. Because in their minds, blood is thicker than water always. And all that a lost person has in terms of relationships is, is family. And if they don't have family, they have friends of some sort. And they don't know anything really beyond that. And then Jesus identifies his true family in verses 49 through 50. And this is greatly comforting to us. And Jesus stretched out his hand toward his disciples. Don't miss that. Who is my brother and my mother's? Can you imagine being in the room that day and Jesus stretched out his hand and points it to you? There's something endearing here. There's something greatly uh, profound in that gesture. He turns to his disciples in the room and he points at them and he says, here is my mother and my brothers. And it must have been something to be sitting there in that awkward suspense of tension when Jesus reaches over and gestures at you saying, behold, <laughs> behold, look. My brothers, my mom. Now, the Lord is not teaching at all any kind of eradication of family bonds and the responsibility that one has to them when he becomes a Christian. Not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The family has always been something that the fifth commandment has told us about. And Paul reinforces that in Ephesians chapter 6. And marriage finds its beauty 
in the relationship of Christ in the church. And Paul speaks of family very strongly in Ephesians 5 and 6 as it relates to this. Even in 1 Timothy 5, the Bible commends for those who are widows indeed, meaning a widow that has no resources of herself, then the children and even the extended family to even nieces and nephews are to care for this woman so that the church would not be burdened. And that is their responsibility. If they do not do that, they are worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. So being a Christian does not trump our obligation to family. In fact, it should greater enhance and beautify it. But the Lord is showing the primacy of obeying God over yielding to any other earthly relationship and those also which are the closest and dearest to us. So if you ever find yourself hesitating with some aspect of following Christ because of the implications of how your family may perceive it or how your friends may react because of your faithfulness, if you ever feel that perhaps you are just being just too dramatic or drastic in your faith and you need to just give way a little bit to that so that you can have a greater peace with your family and friends then you need to read once again the lord's counsel to you that we covered some weeks back in matthew chapter 10 do not think that i came to bring peace on earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And don't misunderstand here, it is not the Lord's desire for this familial and for this familial tension. But he does require your faithfulness, even if that means breaking ties with your closest earthly relationships. And this is the situation perhaps some children are in. Because he or she is to love God supremely, even over their greatest fidelity and loyalty to you. And when you stop and think about it, would you want it any other way? Isn't your greatest joy to know that your children walk in the truth? Would you really want your children to love you more than God or to be loyal to you more than God? That would be making a God out of you. Whatever your closest earthly relationship, you cannot make them be foremost over your relationship with Jesus. You must have more affection for Jesus than you do for your own children. You must love Jesus more than you love your own spouse. You must love Jesus more than you love your father and your mother. And when you do not do that, when you love someone else more, you make a God out of that person. And you cannot do that and be worthy 
of Christ. Those are eternal ramifications. And what Christ is doing here is he's holding out a prospect for every person. For every person that has ever been rejected by family and friends. Anyone can have this kind of relationship with Jesus. You can have your finger pointed by the good Lord at you when he says, my brother and my mother. When you have been rejected by your earthly brothers or close relatives. After the resurrection, he tells Mary, he says, go and tell my brothers that I ascend to my father and their father. What a a blessing it is to see how Jesus is now treating his disciples. Jesus says he is not ashamed to call you his brother. For he who is sanctified and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them his brethren, Hebrews 2.11 says. God is willing to be called your father. He is willing to be your father. God is willing to be your closest friend, your family member. You are my friends, Jesus said. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for I For a servant does not know what a master is doing, but I have called you friends. Friends. Brothers. Father, child, son, daughter. Bride, bridegroom. And in Galatians 4.26, Paul calls the church the mother of of us all. Your fellow Christians are your closest family members. And collectively, they are your spiritual mother. If you have Christian parents and a Christian family, which most of us have had the privilege of having, all the better. All the better. But if not, this is your greatest family. Perhaps some of you have been rejected by family members or by friends that you no longer have because of your desire to follow Christ. And Jesus gives you a great promise once again from that 10th chapter. He says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Folks, we're family. What would God have you to do for the rest of your life? is to do your will, to do His will. You are my brothers if you do what I command you. Folks, this is family here. We are each other's family. You are part of the household of God. If you like it or not, but you should like it. 
Because in the Spirit of God, not only are you what you are, and your brother across the pew is what he is, he will not be the same tomorrow as he is today. And he will be coming just like you are, more conformed to the image of Christ, and more beautiful and attractive in his sanctification as you think you already are. And this is family, close family, and perhaps today, you might need to make an apology to one of your brothers or sisters in Christ. That would be the will of God. If you have hurt them or there is some breach in your relationship there, the will of God would be for you to make that right and reconcile and repent and be humble. Folks, this is family. When people make this choice and they cut themselves off from every earthly tie to follow Christ, folks, we need to be here to embrace them. We may be the only people they have. We are their family. They may not have all the same stripes. They may not come from the same background. They may not have it all understood in their sanctification and their theology right now, but they are family. And we do not want to leave them out in the cold, either emotionally or spiritually. We might be the only family they have. So that hopefully they will know what the psalmist said in Psalm 27 when he says, When my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Folks, we are not only family here in this life, but we will be for all of eternity. We are the family of God, the household of faith, the bride of Christ. We are the church collectively, which is the mother of us all, in which the Spirit of God dwells, the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the Jerusalem which is above, the heavenly Jerusalem. We are the city of the living God. We are a living organism. We are a body of Christ where He is our head. And we are to be loyal and loving to God, which means that we are to be loyal and loving to one another. This family is a great blessing here on earth, and I hope you cherish the great blessing that this body is to each one of us. Nurture it. Love it. Build it up. Strengthen it. Because you probably know in some history of your past a stance that you have taken for righteousness and you know the rejection from someone that meant something to you. But you have a family here that we can collectively Encourage one another in love and in good deeds. So let's nurture what we have. And let's grow this blessing of God. And take care of our brothers and sisters. And not backbite and inner fight and have problems within us. But look to Christ knowing He is making us to become that which is beautiful in His sight. And even though we have a long ways to go in our sanctifying process, God is not finished with us, and He will love us to the end. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the family 
of God that you have established. And for those who have not had Christian parents or brothers and sisters who were very close to them in this earthly life, but are now estranged from them because of the sake of the gospel, or those relationships have been broken or severed or even just grown very distant and no longer warm, we pray you would encourage them today with this truth that there is loving brothers and sisters and their mother here. Our Lord knew what it was like to be rejected even by his closest disciples. And yet without sin, he is now here to comfort us, encourage us, and to bring forth a hundredfold in this life and that which is to come. The fruit of what he has promised if we but follow him and do what he commands. So encourage us, Lord to be faithful to you and never breach our conscience or compromise our loyalty to you and our love and fidelity to you when we may be tempted to preserve an earthly relationship in that context. Strengthen us, O Lord, in the unity of the Spirit and strengthen this church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.